The Shep Naz Podcast begins now. Welcome to the Shep Naz Podcast. I'm Joe and I'm your host today. And with me today, I have Pastor Rob from Hocking Hills Retreat Center. We're going into day two in our discussion on his message from this past Sunday. We are in our series, The Seven, where Jesus is speaking in the book of Revelation, chapter two, to the different churches in the area. And the this week, we're actually focusing on the church of Pergamum. And yesterday, if you didn't catch that episode, you should go back and take a look because he had some encouraging things to say to them in the first part of his message about how they were standing firm in an awful place. Um, But now we're getting into perhaps some of his concerns that he needed to address. So, Pastor Rob, bring us in. Yeah. So, like you said, um, Jesus spent time commending them for doing such a great job living in the midst of satanic opposition but then after commending them he uses this word the last couple the last the first church he used the word but you know like i'm complimenting you and then he uses the word but then you know nothing good's coming this time it was not the word but it was like nevertheless (laughs) it's like that's not encouraging either like you you're complimenting someone and then they say nevertheless uh, and that's what jesus says he says nevertheless i i have a few things against you in verse 14 you have people there who hold to the teaching of balaam who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and committing sexual immorality. And so to understand this, got to go back to Numbers chapter 22 through 25 to get us to hear the story that Jesus is referring to. So Jesus is referring, he's going to give us an Old Testament example and a New Testament example of the things that he's concerned about to the church in Pergamum. And the first one he uses this this, uh, story about Balaam. Balaam was a prophet for hire, um, and there was a king who was an enemy of the Israelite people when they were wandering in the wilderness. Uh, and he saw that they were growing and getting large in numbers and powerful. And he was concerned that they might take over his nation. So this king of another nation goes to uh, Balaam and says, I want to hire you to put a curse on the people. So Balaam is like, yeah, I can do that. And so he goes to God and says, God, I, 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 you know, this guy wants to pay me money to curse the people of God. Um, and God's like, no, you can't do that. And so he goes back and forth several times with with the king and says, God won't let me do it. And the guy's like, I paid you good money. You need to do it. So he goes back and forth a few times. Um, And then at the end of the day, he was unable to curse God's people because God was protecting them. Mm -hmm. And so Balaam says to the king, he says, "I, I can't curse them. I just I don't have the ability. God won't let me do it. He says, but if you want to destroy them, here's what you should do. And then he gives them this this strategy. uh, And what he told them to do is that he said, you should take your, um, you should try to get them to intermix their religion with some of the pagan religions. And when they intermix their religion with the pagan religions, then what will happen is um, it will weaken their religion. So what happened was, uh, and there's a passage of scripture in Numbers chapter 25, verses one through three, and it says this, it says, um, this is exactly what happened. While Israel was staying at Shittim, the, the men began to have sex with Moabite women who invited the people to the sacrifices offered to their gods. And the people ate the meat from the sacrifices and worshiped these gods. And then it says, since the Israelites joined in worshiping the God of Baal of Peor, the Lord became angry with Israel. So what happened was that the, the king, you know, made offers to the Israelites to, sleep with their women and that kind of stuff. They began to sleep with the women 
go to their different um, religious ceremonies and stuff, and they begin to compromise their true faith because God had called them to be separate from the world and not to be, participate in some of those things. Um, it was really a big deal. And what Jesus was doing was he was saying they were compromising their faith. And Jesus says, my concern with you in Pergamum is that you're also compromising your faith as well. You are, you are, you are kind of, you want to have the best of both worlds. You, you want to have the blessings of Christ, but you also want to have the pleasures and enticements of sexual immorality. And Jesus was saying that you can't have both. You have one or the other. Like you can live the way of the world if you want, and you can experience the consequences on your own, or you can live according to the way God wants us to live and have the blessings and protection that it offers, but you can't do both. And God was concerned with them trying to do both. Um, and if you read to that story in Numbers chapter 22 uh, to 25, the way that God stopped it was he sent a plague on the Israelite people and 24,000 people lost their lives before the plague was ended. And, and, and that shows you the seriousness that God had in his people not intermixing and marrying with uh, people who served other gods. He, was, he said, I'm your God. I want to be your God. I'm not going to share you with somebody else. If you want somebody else, you can have them, but you can't have me. It's one or the other. And so God was teaching them this really important lesson. And so God was – go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, man, what echoes to our culture right now? Oh, okay. it, it's it's amazing. Yeah, um, it, yeah. I, I'm blown away at how relevant – and maybe it's just because people are still people and we do the same things. We just package it differently. You know, but it's it's the same stuff that they were dealing with in the Old Testament that we deal with, and that we want to have the best of both worlds. And in in the in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul wrote. He he said, "Listen, God has made it very clear that He doesn't want His children to participate in worldly behavior." He says this. He says, "Do not be yoked together with unbelievers." And that yoke was a picture of a of a a, a, a farming instrument that tied two oxen together so that when they plowed they both went the same direction because if you put two ox connected to a piece of farm machinery and they weren't didn't have some kind of equipment that kept them connected one might go one way the other might go the other way and just rip your equipment apart right sure, and so sure. so they put this this yoke on them to keep them together and paul's saying that as believers we should not be yoked or connected in in, in a permanent relationship uh, with unbelievers he says what does righteousness and wickedness have in common or what fellowship can light have with darkness what harmony is there between christ and belial what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever what agreement is there in the temple of god and idols for we are the temple of the living god and he said i will live with them and walk among them and be their god and they will be my people therefore come out and be separate says the lord and don't touch the unclean thing and i'll receive you so god's over and over saying how important it is james echoes the same thing he says um, that when we as believers are not faithful to Christ and we flirt with other gods or other religions, he says, we're like an unfaithful wife who loves her husband's enemies. Don't you realize that making friends with God's enemies, the evil pleasures of this world, makes you an enemy of God? He says again that if your aim is to enjoy the evil pleasures of the unsaved world, you cannot also be a friend of God. And I think that's just a powerful statement that 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 many in the church think that one of the best ways or they think that, you know, we can we can have the best of both worlds. Like I can be a Christian, but I can still do stuff that I that the world does um, and still be a Christian. And what this passage of Scripture is saying is that 
Jesus is confronting the church in Pergamum and said, you can't do it. It's one or the other, right? And there's another church we'll talk about sooner, soon that he, he really hammers at home as well. But Jesus wasn't just talking about the concern of believers in the church who were um, participating in this compromising behavior. He also had a concern for people who are in the church who are tolerating it and allowing it to happen. So, so he says, you know, we we in the church should not tolerate this stuff, uh, and and it's not that we're being judgmental or whatever. But Jesus is saying you're tolerating these things and you're allowing them to happen, and by tolerating them and allowing them to happen, you're almost as guilty of the person who was doing it. And what Jesus was saying was that um, if if we if we allow compromise to continue, then the practice of compromise will become a pattern of compromise. And it'll take the church down. And, and we'll, we'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. So that was one example. Jesus used the Balaam. And then he used the other story, uh, the New Testament story of the teaching of the Nicolaitans, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says in verse 15, he says, likewise, you also have, have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And the Nicolaitans were basically teaching a perverted form of Christian liberty that allowed the mingling of Christianity with pagan behaviors. So a lot like what Balaam was doing, right? He literally was saying, like, you can't do that, right? So so this particular teaching taught that Christians could participate in in pagan orgies along with other sexual immoral behave sexually immoral behaviors that God had already made clear he wanted his people to abstain from. So in the worship of these Roman Greco gods uh, in those temples, there was all kinds of stuff happening. And part of the worship of those what were sexual in uh, promiscuity. Uh, some of the, the temples had um, temple prostitutes, and it was believed if you'd have sex with a prostitute in the temple, that it would give you certain powers or whatever. And so there were orgies and all kinds of stuff like that happening. And Jesus is like, I don't want you to participate in that. But this teaching that had snuck into the church said, you can still be a Christian and participate in those things. And so there are people who are believing that, and Jesus is like, you, no, you can't do that. That's compromise. You're you're trying to hang on to Christianity and, and hang on to the world, and you can't do both. That's why Jesus says you can't be yoked with those things. You know, one light cannot be yoked with darkness. Um, and this this was a this was kind of a big deal. And so I think it's interesting to note how important that addressing false teaching was. Um, and here's just I just want to draw this quick uh, parallel. So in Ephesus, if we remember this church in Ephesus, the -hmm. church was commended for hating the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Like Jesus says, I commend you for hating it. In fact, I hate it also. But Jesus made it it clear that we should not hate the people who believe these things or even taught these things, but we should hate the teaching, right? So so in Ephesus, um, the, the Ephesus church was commended for loving people but rejecting the sin. Right. But in Pergamum, the church was convicted of loving the person and accepting the sin. Like in Ephesus, they at least rejected the sin. But in Pergamum, they were like accepting the sin. And so I just want to be clear to say that that God's people, as God's people, we're called to follow God's example of loving everybody. We're called to love everybody, but we're also commanded to never compromise doctrine and morality for the sake of peace. What happens is we compromise what we know God has taught us is right and wrong, and we compromise it and we overlook it and we let it go because we want to keep peace in our relationships or we don't want to be judged and we don't want people to think that we're 
judgmental or whatever, so we tolerate things. And this is exactly what Jesus was saying. I don't want you to tolerate sin. I don't want you to 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 put up with these things. And if you keep doing it, there's judgment coming, and the sword that's coming from my mouth is going to bring judgment upon you, uh, and you're gonna, we're going to be rebuked. And so Jesus says, "Listen, here's here's the here's the thing. What you have to do is repent." And again, there's two two people. There's two groups of people here that needed to repent. First of all. Jesus was talking to the believers who had remained true and faithful, but had tolerated the sin. And he's like, you need to repent for tolerating the sin. I don't want that in my church. And secondly, those who are living in compromise needed to tolerate for their wrong actions. But, but here's something that's interesting, and we'll, we'll take a break right after this. Um, as I was, I was studying this, this week, um, I came across some, some uh, one theologian who was talking about how how uh, Jesus was trying to confront um, tolerance and compromise in the church and how the church today, many churches today, um, they, they tolerate things and they compromise. So, so uh, he, you know, the church, what Jesus is saying is that the church cannot tolerate evil in any form. The church in Pergamum was doing this. They were allowing other believers to compromise and mingle their Christian beliefs with scripture and coming up with this new standard and the church was losing its power. So this guy says this week, he says, um, the church works too hard to make people feel comfortable. And I thought, well, it's kind of interesting because I've always been taught we should make people feel comfortable and loved and accepted and all this other kind of stuff. And he says this, this is what the guy says. He says, sinning believers should be made to feel miserable in the fellowship and worship <laughs> of the church by being confronted powerfully with the word of God. He says, neither is the goal of the church to provide an environment where unbelievers feel, feel comfortable. It is to be a place where they can hear the truth and be convicted of their sins so they can be saved. And I thought, man, that's, that just is so <laughs> against what is going on in the church because you want people to come in and feel comfortable and feel loved and everything. But it's true. We should accept people. We should love people. But if they're living in sin, like what this guy is saying is that, they should feel uncomfortable because the presence of God is there. The holiness of God is there. And it's that that convicts them of their sin. And without conviction of their sin, they'll never get saved. And so if we work so hard to make people feel comfortable in the church and we tolerate their sin and we overlook their sin and we put up with all this stuff, they never experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit and they never get saved. And what happens is we have a bunch of people in our church who are comfortable but never make it to heaven in the end. And it was right. never the church's job to make people comfortable. It was the church's job to get people into heaven. And so I so see what he's saying. What he says is that we should be gently, gently, lovingly, graciously, yet firmly. Unbelievers need to be confronted with the reality of their sin and God's gracious provision through the sacrificial death of Jesus. And he says, error will never be suppressed by tolerating or compromising with sin. And so I just think that's such a picture of the church today. There are churches that that tolerate sin, they put up with it, they accept it so that people can feel comfortable and they judge other churches and other people who might not put up who 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 think differently. And I think there's a happy medium that we should do our best to love people but to not tolerate their sin and in not tolerating their sin, hopefully the Holy Spirit can convict them, they can find salvation, forgiveness and make it to heaven rather than live a comfortable life here on earth, die in their sin and spend eternity separated from God. Right. And, you know, I think we can all agree that 
we at least, you know, have to stop short of celebrating the sin. Uh, yeah. and, and in fact, we see that happening in some churches in our country today. And yeah. so, you know, the old adage be in the world, but not of the world. So Jesus is saying, great job for sticking it out and being there. But you cannot allow your surroundings to influence the teaching and the doctrine of the church. So let's take a quick break and uh, we'll come back and talk about uh, what he says might happen if they don't listen. Coming November 4th is a fall movie night. Bring the whole family for bonfires with hot dogs, s'mores, hayrides, and an outdoor family-friendly movie. Don't forget your blankets or lawn chairs. Invite your friends and neighbors to join us. That's November the 4th at 4 p.m. outside at our Gahanna campus. You can find out about all our upcoming events at shepnaz.org calendar. All right, we're back and we've been talking about uh, the book of Revelation chapter 2 and the church of Pergamum. Jesus is addressing them. He's had uh, some encouraging words for them that he is very happy that they have stuck it out in a town that he refers to as the throne of Satan, but he's concerned that there has been false teaching that's entering the church as a result of compromise and maybe out of a motivation of love uh, that they didn't want to offend people. You know, we see that happening in our churches today, but Jesus is saying, no, you cannot accept those false teachings. So now Jesus moves a little further and in this discussion and uh, Rob, tell us what will be the consequences if they don't heed his message. Yeah. So Jesus says, repent, therefore. Uh, so that that's the way to do it. And to repent is to stop believing the things that we did in such a way that it changes our actions. But then the consequences are, Jesus says, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So Jesus was saying, I'm coming to you, the church, and I'm coming to those who are in the church who are compromising that you've allowed and I will fight against them with the sword of my word, my mouth. In other words, Jesus is going to use the word of God to as a as a as a weapon to bring judgment uh, on the church. And it doesn't say what the judgment is; just that there will be judgment coming. But there, it, it can't be an encouraging thing when you receive the judgment of God, right? And so, whatever, however that works out, um, is it, it's not a good story. And so Jesus is like, you got it, you got to change, or judgment's coming. For the church, the people who tolerate it, and for those who are experiencing uh, the compromise in their own life as well. But then Jesus also says, but if, for those who overcome and those who who uh, stay true, don't tolerate sin, don't compromise sin in their own lives, Jesus says, um, he says, he who has near, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. That's one thing. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it. That's the second thing. And it's, this name is known only to those who receive it. So so these are kind of weird things it seems like Jesus promises. And the first one is hidden manna. And if you remember when the Israelites were wandering in the desert, uh, manna was this honey-flavored bread that God gave the Israelites uh, that sustained them during their time of, of wandering in the desert because they didn't have time to cook. There are millions of people. Um and, and this, this manna also, there's a jar of it that was put in the Ark of the Covenant. It was so important that the people memorialized it. Um, but the hidden manna represented Jesus who said that he was the bread of life. And so what Jesus is saying is that we would receive all of the blessings and benefits 
of knowing Jesus. Jesus talked about that in John chapter six. He says, I'm the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. So Jesus is saying that in our relationship with him, we'll experience blessings that will keep us alive and sustain us and give us abundant life. Then Jesus says they'll also get a white stone. And there's a lot of different uh, thoughts about that. I'll just share with you one of them. Um, One of the the most common thought about this white stone was that um, there was a Roman custom of awarding a white stone to victors in athletic competitions. Um, They would take this white stone, they would engrave the athlete's name on it, um, and it was like their reward for winning, but it was also uh, served as a ticket to a special awards banquet. And so the athlete who won something would have this white stone with their name engraved on it. And when they would show up to the award banquet, it was like their ticket to get in. It was proof Mm. that they had overcome and that they had won. Um, And so some theologians think that in this view that Christ promises those who overcome entrance into the eternal victory celebration, right? That you'll get this white stone with your name written on it, and you'll be able to show this stone and make it into heaven to celebrate your victory. and then the promise also of, the, of this new name written on the white stone. And so the word new literally means uh, not necessarily in relation to old, but something that is new or qualitatively different. In other words, Jesus is going to give you a name that's specific to his experience with you, your personal faith journey. Uh, no one will ever know it, but you will know it, but it will be an expression of God's love for you because he's going to be saying, I knew everything you did. I saw it all. I, met, I, I saw how you got over, how you made it through everything. And it will just be this really cool way that God will be able to reflect his, his love for us as well. So, so this is the, these are the consequences. So overcoming uh, is, is better than not overcoming because the uh, consequence for not changing is judgment. And the consequence for uh, you know, repentance is to overcome and to receive these rewards. And so, like, if you wrap it all up, there's a couple of things I thought were really important. Number one, I think one thing we can walk away from with this is that biblical and theological air are important uh, matters to Jesus and should be to us as well. Like, Jesus confronts them all the time. Um, And it was important for him that the church in Pergamum not tolerate sin, that they think correctly about the word of God, and they act correctly about it. And we see in that story in the Old Testament of Balaam that 24,000 people died in order for God to stop the compromise. Like he's willing to go to that, that, that length. Um, and if it's that important to God, it needs to be important to us. And so I just want to encourage each of us to make sure that we're, we're understanding our theology right, that we're understanding doctrine, that we always go back to the word of God and not to uh, what somebody said or what the latest, greatest teaching in the church is, uh, that we always go back to the word of God. Um, there's, there's, there's always danger in adding to the word of God and always danger in taking away from it. And we should always go back to that. Also, I think uh, it's important to remember that we're called to love everyone, but we're not called to accept all behaviors godly. Um, and just because somebody else says it's godly doesn't mean it is. It need, the, the standard needs to come from the word of God. And it, it's also, I think, important to note that we should not um, that we should not tolerate certain sins to maintain peace, um, because in the end, that doesn't help anyone. Right. right. It doesn't help the person, and it doesn't help us. 
And then <coughs> finally, I think when it comes to compromise, there are four things that are really quick I think are interesting. As I want compromise never occurs quickly. It's always a slow process. And, you know, usually it's just little by little and you find yourself somewhere you didn't mean to be. Uh, compromise always lowers the original standard. And so whenever we compromise, we're always taking the standard that God sets here and we're lowering it. And every time you lower it, it just it's a bad thing. The third thing, <coughs> excuse me, the third thing is that compromise is seldom offensive. Um, in other words, um, when when I when when I'm compromising, I'm usually doing it so that I don't offend somebody or that I don't make them mad. Um, and and that, but that's that's not the goal. I mean, we should seek to live in peace, but not at the not at the uh, expense of compromise, right? So we need to know what we believe, and that compromise is always the first step toward disobedience. Like just a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here, and then it makes it easier for me to just pull the trigger and do what I know God doesn't want me to do. And so I would just encourage everyone to to just kind of check your life and make sure we're not compromising it, you know, in our theology and our doctrine and our understanding of God and our relationships with other people, um, because to do so would re- would bring judgment to the church and to the people that we love and care about, because true love always tells the truth at the end. Um, so I, I think it's a great place to, to leave for today as we get ready for the message this coming Sunday. Uh, I want to thank you all for joining us today. And we hope that we are helping you take your next step towards Jesus. But that doesn't stop with us. You should be looking around and seeing how you can help others take their next step towards Jesus. And it might be by showing them some love and then carefully and prayerfully helping point out things in their life that could bring them closer to Christ. If you'd like to reach out to us and give us any comments, you're welcome to email us at podcast at shebnaz.org. We also encourage you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. For Pastor Rob, I'm Joe. Have a great day. This podcast is a production of the Shepherd Church of the Nazarene, Gehenna, Ohio. Email to podcast at shepnaz.org and let us know what you think.